from the blighted studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another epidemic episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. When tomatoes show problems like discolored leaves, many gardeners shout blight. On today's show, we'll reveal why blight is the last thing you want your tomatoes to have and tell you how to easily prevent the most common tomato problem when you install your plants this season. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show. That's right, cats and kittens. We will take that heaping helping of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and curiously catatonic clarifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here because it's all coming up faster than you having the prettiest tomato plants on the block right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we have kind of a mixed up mash of a show today. The question of the week is a repeat from about this time last year, very important question of the week about how to properly plant your tomatoes to avoid the biggest tomato problem on the planet. So you'll wanna stay tuned for that. You'll also wanna stay tuned for a new selection of phone calls. We've been getting so many phone calls, our bank is full of them. So we're gonna show you new phone calls, an old question of the week, and I may change my shirt six or seven times. It's the Diana Ross of gardening. All right, on with the show. Number to call, 833-727-9588. Alan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. Hello, Alan. Uh, how are you? I'm doing fine, and I, uh, how are you? I am just ducky, sir. Thank you for asking. Um, where is Alan? Sinking Spring, Pennsylvania. Sinking Spring, the famous road to nowhere. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What can we do for Alan in the land of springs that are sinking? Uh, well, I have three holly bushes okay. that were planted uh, two or three years ago. And until a month ago, all three were thriving. They were growing. They seem to be doing fine. Hmm. But then the leaves started to drop off one of them. They dropped off from the top of the bush first. Now the bush is practically bare. Huh. Almost all of the leaves that dropped are shiny green, just like they should be. Hmm. But the stems where the leaves attach to the branch are black and brittle, and that's where they break off. So anyway, I uh, checked with uh, the landscaper who planted the bushes. Right. Uh, he's a certified arborist. Oh, good. And he believes the roots of the bush are waterlogged. Okay. Now, now, 
Well, he I, planted them, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so he should have anticipated this. <laughs> he sh he should have pled the fifth. I mean, you're not you're not supposed to be allowed to convict yourself. Somebody else is supposed yeah. to do that. And right. How many years have these been in the ground again? I want to say about two or three years. Okay. I, I yeah, they're, they're they're young. Okay. Well, you know, hollies are a very hardy plants. There's a lot of life in them. And, um, you know, I have a holly that can't be killed that I'm about to heavily prune this spring. Finally, I'm, I'm getting some nice shape off of it. And one of the local arboretums, their holly, their holly guy explained to me, these things can take a really hard pruning and come back. Yeah, so, yeah. That, that's why I chose them, because before this, um, I had dwarf Alberta spruce bushes, mm -hmm. and they were about 20 years old, eventually got attacked by spider mites, and, mm. you know, so I had them ripped out and replaced with these holly bushes, because I figured they were unbeatable. Yeah. You know? Now, the obvious questions here, uh, do your gutters empty into this area? Does water stand there? Not that I can tell, but let me let me tell you a little bit about about um, about this particular bush. Okay, it's uh, planted actually on a slight rise uh, right next to my front door. Okay, and and so I, when the landscaper said, "Oh, they're waterlogged," I was I was skeptical. Right. Uh, however, there are mice, chipmunks, and voles who live near the bush oh. and i could tell you because they have you know they have their holes there and i've mm -hmm. i've never seen a vole but i now have vole tracks in my lawn yes that's the sign they make these uh, they tamp down the grass because they follow each other following pheromones and they make these little lanes on the lawn that's yeah that's definitely vole so you got to do some csi um on the next day where the weather's nice you just got to grab one of these suckers down at the soil line because they're not that tall yet. Yeah. And pull it out of the ground. And it, it being the vole? Well, no, the plant. Oh, the plant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, pull the vole out of the ground, you know, have a weasel ready to eat it. Yeah. All right. So pull, anyway. pull the plant out of the ground. Um, it may come up really easily because if you're correct about the voles and there's no reason that you wouldn't be, they would have eaten away all of the root system. Really? Voles oh, yeah. Go after roots? Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they love the roots of hosta plants, uh -huh. and the hosta seems just fine for a while, and then all of a sudden it starts to lose color. And people go over and touch it, and it just falls over like one of those buildings in an old cowboy movie. Yeah. You know, it's just the facade. Yeah, uh -huh. they are famous for eating uh, spring bulbs underground and the roots of plants. And wow. once you start seeing signs of voles, you probably have hundreds. Um, really? Yes, they oh, are wow. the most uh, fecund, for lack of a better word, um, mammal in North America. I believe the females are fertile at like two months of age. They have a litter every two months. The litters are nine and 10 pups in each. So yeah, they don't have TV or anything. They, you know, they, they're like old Irish families. So 
Hey, I'm Irish. I'm the only guy who can say that. So <laughs> I was wondering about yeah, how you pull, get away with it. <laughs> pull, pull out of the ground, and if the roots are gone, then you're right, it's voles. And if the roots are rotten, then he's right, and the area doesn't drain well. Yeah. Um, you got to start getting rid of the voles. The first thing you want to do is go to um, a garden center and get mole repellent. It may even say mole and vole repellent, uh, whose active ingredient is castor oil. And oh. you want to get the one with the most highest level of active ingredient and really spread it now because this is when they're going to start breeding. So what happens is the castor oil imparts a nasty smell to the soil, and if you're lucky, they will leave. Okay. Other than that, let's see, you live in Sinking Spring, which is, you're rural, right? Yeah, it's a development, but yeah, there are cornfields uh, right across the way. Oh, and it's Lent. So <laughs> yes. you can get away with this. You can put up a crossbeam on your front lawn, and... Um, you, you want to have um, a cross beam on a good, sturdy uh, piece of wood, and you want the cross beam to about six feet off the ground. And if you really want to go for the length thing, you do two smaller ones and one big one in the middle. And it'll actually convince your neighbors that you have religion or something. But what's going to happen is when you're sleeping, owls will perch on those cross beams. And owls are the number one predator of voles. I actually, I actually got rid of a mole infestation at my local church by getting them to bring the crosses back out and putting, wow. putting them around where the holes and uh, the treaded down grass was. Wow. That's but I, I trust your observation more than his CSI. Yeah. And, well, yeah. And if you, if you want to replant, what you do is there's actually a product uh, that's comprised of super sharp stones. Uh -huh. So when you put the plant in the ground, you surround the root system with these sharp stones or perhaps even broken glass, something like that, so to keep the voles away from the roots. Some people will even kind of cage the root system with hardware cloth to keep the, the voles out. Um, but I, I haven't seen this product in, in years, but it used to be bagged in every garden center. Uh, I, it was called Volstones or something like that. But um, I think you're right. Uh, the mice would eat above ground. They, okay. would, they would eat the bark. The voles would go for the roots. And then yes, once the roots could no longer convey nutrients to the plant, I can see the leaves still being glossy, but the connective tissue dying off. Yes. Okay. Oh, this makes perfect sense to me. Uh, I really thank you for the advice. And, All right. Uh, well, check it out and see if I'm right, and uh, give us a call back. Okay. Okay, Mike. Thank you so much for taking my call. Oh, my pleasure, Alan. Thank you for making it. 833-727-9588. Michael, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being had, Michael. Where are you? Uh, I'm in uh, Wilmington, Delaware. Okay, not that far from Philadelphia, really? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I go there often. Yeah, so what can we do for Michael in Wilmington? Uh, well, we just moved into a, uh, a, a old brick um, townhome, and it's uh, got a really tiny little backyard, 
and uh, I'm not used to the city life, so I uh, my my question is about compost. Right. What would you recommend um, for limited space? Because um, I would like to have a raised bed in the back. Right. Uh, but I'm not really sure um, if I should have a tumbler. Um, you've mentioned uh, worm bins before. So you want you want to make your own compost, but uh, it sounds like you also have a very small area, right? That's right, and and we have lots of kitchen scrap, and uh, I, I drink lots of coffee, so I have lots of coffee grounds, and I, I feel bad about throwing it out. Well, I'd like those, to use it if I can. Those two ingredients are perfect for a worm bin. Um, you'd you'd pile up the garbage and your used coffee grounds, including the filters. You cover it with shredded newspaper. Introduce the worms and they will turn that into a material that's better than compost, worm castings. Um, but that's not going to give you enough bulk compost to build a raised bed with or anything like that. Now, if you don't want to take up the room in your backyard and you really don't care about shredding your own leaves or anything like that, you should be able to go out and buy really nice high quality compost um, at a, if you go to an independent garden center, not a big box store, there will be very high-quality bagged compost from a company called the Coast of Maine. It's very predominant in your region. There's probably some others. How big a bed are you thinking about for your veggies? Maybe one or two feet by four feet. Oh, okay. So it really is small back there. It's, it's quite small, yeah. And I've been tracking the sun, and I... I'm not so sure I get enough sun for tomatoes, but I, I hope to grow something. Okay, sure. Well, uh, when you don't have enough sun for fruits, you grow roots and shoots. Um, things like carrots and potatoes and beets and all of the salad greens. And, you know, is the, isn't there more sun right now because the trees haven't leafed out yet? Oh, that's true. I didn't think about that. So you can grow an early crop of, for instance, snow peas. And you'll be harvesting those uh, before the trees have stolen all of your sun. So there's, there's more that you can do um, than you may think. But uh, any fruiting plants, they would have to be um, springtime plants. The only one I can think of really is snow peas, snap peas, English shelling peas. But once they got up and growing, they would get enough sun, I would think, to finish the job and give you some nice eating before the... Um, before the trees filled in, and then you, you know, depending on how shady it is, you might be able to grow lettuce and and spinach all summer long. And certainly, like I said, things like carrots and and beets and potatoes. So with something that small, I would I'd go to an independent garden center. I would get a couple of bags of real high quality compost. This is not the place to be cheap, and a big bag of potting soil, not one with chemical fertilizers in it. You're going to have to look around, but Espoma makes a nice one, and there's some other brands out there. Uh, mix that with the compost, and you'll have a light, loose-drained bed that'll be perfect for growing things like carrots that want a deep, loose soil. And then I think if, if you're generating a lot of kitchen waste and coffee grounds, indoor worm bin is the way to go. Keep it in your kitchen, keep it in your garage, your porch, someplace like that. Um, but you will then make all the fertilizer you'll ever need to take care of that garden. Okay, uh, that sounds great. Another quick little question. Do I need to get my um, soil tested if it's a raised bed? Well, uh, you say it's a brick house. It is. It's uh, from early 1900s. It's 
it's kind of dirty back there, honestly. Okay, so they're trash, debris, that kind of thing. Well, I, it's not really trash, but uh, at one point they they lined the whole backyard with some black plastic, some kind of thing. Oh God, probably weed fabric. Yeah, weeds love that. Um, the idea, if if you get soil tested, you're looking for lead and mercury and other contaminants, and it's always a good idea to do, but with a raised bed. And when you're working in the soil for the first time or working in your own soil, you always want to wear gloves and you always want to have a dust mask on, no matter what's in the soil. But after that, you know, you put down uh, a big piece of cardboard and then you've put a frame over top of that and you fill that frame with the compost and the potting soil, and that way you're not growing in your own soil. You've essentially sealed it off. All right. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Well, good Thanks luck lot, to you. Mike. Thank you, Michael. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and report that none of my upcoming appearances have been canceled yet. That's at the Allentown Public Library on April 27th and two separate appearances in Virginia in early May. But who knows what's going to happen in this crazy world. So please keep an eye on the events section of our website for the latest details. But don't check it just yet because we'll be right back with the Titanic Tomato Question of the Week and more of your Titanic phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a half-new, half-encore, who knows, broadcast of You Bet Your Garden. But it is coming to you from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural, organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by Rodale Institute. Rodale Institute is hosting an online workshop, Compost Like a Pro, on Thursday, April 16th at 2 p.m., Learn how to make compost at home from the global leader in organic agriculture. Details and information at RodaleInstitute.org. Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to a crazy hybrid episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, warning you that I may be changing clothes throughout the show because we're bringing you all new phone calls, but the question of the week is from about a year ago. But if you're going to grow tomatoes, you need to listen again because I know you weren't paying attention the first time. But now it's time to pay attention to more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Tom, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being had, Tom. How are you? I'm great. Long-time listener of your show and glad to talk to you. Glad to talk to you. Where are you, man? I'm currently in Ridgefield, Connecticut, but I'm calling about a garden on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. Oh, okay. And I will reveal to the listeners at home and perhaps the viewers as well that you emailed us a fabulous surprise treat. You created a bingo game using uh, often used phrases on You Bet Your Garden. I did indeed. My wife and I uh, binge listen to your shows 
uh, on our trips between Connecticut and Cape Cod. And um, we've been listening for years and uh, have come to know some of the common things that come up. And so we, we started to turn it into a game. What's his answer going to be uh, when the or, caller would start asking questions? Or am I going to say just ducky or cats and kittens? or just it, It's just wonderful. Now, yeah. you came up, I believe, with 50 different phrases. I think I think I have about 50 on the list right now, yeah. But each bingo card holds 25. I made a little thing to randomly pick from the list of 20 or from the list of 50, 25 for each card. Just like a regular bingo game, everybody hears the same thing called out, but they may or may not have it on their card. Yep. And then uh, when you get five in a line, you win. That's the plan. But you test it on our next trip. Did you say that uh, you're still having trouble figuring out what the prizes are? <laughs> yeah, we haven't really worked that out, but uh, I guess it'll be fame and glory. Okay. Well, uh, I want to tell you, and and we've kind of discussed this a little bit over uh, over emails that we're going to do something with these bingo cards. We're going to make them available to the listeners and the viewers as some sort of a pledge drive incentive. Now, here we go. Um, the people in Pledge Drive want to send them out with sunflower seeds to use as markers. I want to use classic bingo chips. What do you think? I kind of go with the sunflower seeds. Yeah? Yeah. Now, if you're in a car, you're going to have to use a dauber, right? And just use the cards once. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I can't thank you guys enough. I mean, it just brought such a smile to our face. I mean, three emails away from you, we got this wonderful message from Australia. Um, that same week, we got that beautiful hand-drawn postcard of me and my crowded office. Then we got your bingo cards. It is, it's such a delight opening up my emails. Well, that's something a lot of people don't get to say. And, yeah, exactly right. And um, you actually have a question, right? So I, I, I owe you. Let, let's see what I can do you for here. Okay. So uh, last fall, my wife and I uh, bought a vacation home on Cape Cod. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that gives us a lot more time to listen to You Bet Your Garden as we drive back and forth. Mm -hmm. um, this house came with an existing organic garden. Created by the prior owner, mm -hmm. and uh, she was an avid gardener. And um, we want to make use of that garden, uh, but we won't be there full time. So right. we're looking for some ideas for good crops that we can plant that can can do with uh, you know without attention for two or three weeks at a time. Ooh, two or three weeks at a time. I was kind of hoping you were there every week. We're we'd, we'd like to be, but it. Yeah, it won't always happen. How how long is the so, drive? Uh, it's almost four hours. No, that's not unbearable. But the traffic in that in that part of uh, the country can be rough on the weekends. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, luckily, we have fairly flexible schedules, so we don't have to go on weekends. When oh, we that's go. nice. But um, you know, there will be times <laughs> when we're not able to be there every week. So uh, right. kind of looking for things that can stand a little bit of neglect and also for things that won't be continuously ripening. You know, I, I don't want to have, you know, rotting tomatoes laying on the ground when we get back and that sort of thing. And our garden in Connecticut will continue to, um, you know, also be a source for 
things like that. Um, so I was thinking of root crops as one thing that might do well. Very smart. Very smart. Um, yeah, potatoes, you put them in the ground in the spring, and then you harvest them, um, you know, when the plants die back. Uh, they really don't need you in between unless, you know, pests show up. Um, Cape Cod, do they have deer problems up there? Uh, there are deer, yeah. I don't know yet how common they are in our specific neighborhood, but I, I do know that they're in the in the general vicinity. Okay, so then the first thing I want you to do is set up a motion-activated sprinkler um, so that if deer or somebody's dog comes into your garden, they get chased off with a, a burst of cold water. So in addition to uh, potatoes, which are wonderful fresh out of the garden, there's nothing like them, um, I would also urge you to grow beets I'm a fool for beets. I love red beets. I love golden beets. I love that heirloom Chioga beet that has the concentric rings inside. I would not be worried about growing heirloom tomatoes, long season tomatoes, provided you have a long enough season up there. Um, what's the weather like when it gets to September? Um, it's actually fairly mild because of the proximity to the ocean. Okay. And, and uh, the, full the garden sun? has really good, very full sun, yes, from morning until very late in the afternoon. And that's great. Okay. So I would say um, long-season tomatoes, tomatoes that are rated at 75 days to maturity or longer because their fruit ripens up very slowly. And once you get up there, if you have tomatoes that are at least half colored up, you can take those off the vine, take them inside, take them back home with you. And, you know, the transition is much slower than in early season tomatoes, which w would go bad very quickly. I okay. think pepper plants, because it takes a long time for their fruits to finally uh, ripen up. And then, um, yeah, go nuts on the underground crops. Absolutely plant garlic, for instance, in the fall, and then harvest that around the 4th of July. Um, nothing like string beans, because they would get, they would get big and, and mealy and stringy. You have to be there to pick those every day. Um, in the beginning of the season, there wouldn't be any reason to sow runs of leaf lettuce or you know, install small lettuce plants and just cut them when you get there. Cut and come again. I mean, that can be every two or three weeks, and that would be fun. Okay, good. And, of course, all the annual flowers that you can plant that attract pollinators and butterflies and stuff like that. And when you plant the long-season tomatoes, make sure you follow my design for the tomato cages. Uh, the welded wire uh, cut into six-foot lengths, formed into a cylinder, and held into the ground with two pieces of rebar or stakes. All the, all the details are in my tomato growing book, um, which is newly, a new edition of which is available from Fox Chapel Press. Or online, if you go into questions of the week and search tomato cages, you'll see all the details there. That way you won't have to be there to watch your tomatoes. 
Another thing I want you to get is a rain gauge. You know, we are, are you technically oriented? I am, yes. I wonder if there's a rain gauge that you could check from home. Uh, it's actually one of the first things we put in when we got the house. Oh, okay, great. So, so you, put in, um, you put in the rain gauge, you check it. If you go a week without rain, is there a way that you could have um, uh, water on a timer come into your garden? We'll have to look into that. The garden's a little distance from the house. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm a little concerned about where the hose would be laying and so forth. But, okay. Uh, well, then mulch, we can explore that. Yeah. mulch it heavily okay. um, to retain any kind of soil moisture. And when you, get, when you get to the house, you'll know what the rain has been like the previous couple of weeks. Yeah. So if it's been really light, you really saturate that soil while you're there. If it's been really rainy, then maybe even move the mulch away from the plants a little bit so there's no rot involved. But um, I think you got a great plan here. Great. All right. So thank you again for the bingo cards. Uh, our, our viewers and listeners are going to be seeing more of those coming up. And uh, enjoy your vacation home, man. I, I just got another phrase to put on it, too, the motion-activated sprinkler. Oh, yeah, that's got to be there. Number to call, 833-727-9588. Rachel, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks. Well, thank you, Rachel. How you doing? I'm doing okay. All right. And where is Rachel doing okay? Uh, I'm in Philadelphia. I uh, was very excited last summer to have a downspout planter installed in my yard through the city's rain check program. Now, wait a minute. Um, wait a minute. You can stop right there. What is a downspout garden? So it's one of the city's initiatives to help manage stormwater. Right. A, one of the downspouts from the roof is rerouted to send all the water into a specially built planter. So it's like a miniature rain garden in the planter. Is the planter in the ground? No, the planter is above the ground, and it's really big. It's about three feet wide, three feet tall, and two feet deep. Yeah, but we got 172 inches of rain last year. Wasn't that a little <laughs> bit too much? Too much rain, you mean? Yeah, for uh, your planter to handle. Mm -hmm. So they sent somebody out with a lot of fancy instruments who measured exactly how much water was being routed where through the entire downspout system. And this was the size they recommended to be the right size for the right amount of rainwater coming out of that downspout. Okay. And uh, how? Uh, what did you plant it with? So uh, it came with the original plantings that were professionally planted, a couple of sedges. I'm not sure what kind they were, but a couple of sedges and three Tiarella, and they have all done very badly. Yeah, it, 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 it's always going to be too much water. Yeah. I mean, uh, the miniature sedges, for instance, they're often used on a green roof system. But with, mm -hmm. a, with a green roof, the excess water um, rolls off and drowns <laughs> the plants in your downspout garden. Is there a way that um, whatever is diverting the water can itself be diverted? You know, if you get more than an inch of rain a week, mm -hmm. when last mm -hmm. year, of course, we got an inch of rain every second day, um, is there a way you can turn the faucet off, so to speak? Uh, 
Well, there's a built-in overflow system. Maybe I should have mentioned that to begin with. It doesn't just fill up like a swimming pool. Uh, there's an outflow at the bottom. So if the if the downspout planter gets too saturated, I guess, it, mm -hmm. it does divert. There's a hose coming out the bottom. It just diverts into the yard. Is the hose on the planter or is the hose on the downspout system? The planter. I mean... Your plants think they're on the Titanic on a bad day. You know, throw, <laughs> throw them a deck chair or something. You probably need to contact the city and say this design doesn't work. I can't think of, you know, I mean, you could grow water chestnuts and make your own Chinese food. Um, you, could, you could grow watercress. Um, you could raise frogs and toads in there. Do you think it would make a nice little aquarium? You could have some toads, some frogs. Or you could That's have, interesting. Or you could have <laughs> koi out there. You know, a water garden. There is, uh, there are beautiful um, water lilies and water lotus and, oh, what's the other one I'm thinking of? The water iris. Um, these are plants that, you know, thrive in saturated conditions. I think, hmm. you, I think you have two, cho and by the way, the water iris are absolutely stunning. My neighbors uh, to the north, they have a huge pond and every year, the water iris bloom on the edges, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. And, mm -hmm. and of course, you've been to Longwood Gardens, right? And you've seen the water lilies yes, and, yes. and the water lotus and everything like that. Mm -hmm. That would be so much fun. Your other choice is to make it a real planter, put in stuff that you want, but to be able to divert the water from coming into the planter, not out the bottom, because, you know, it's just, it's just drowning your poor plants. So you don't think a downspout planter is a good idea at all? Oh, it, <laughs> would, probably, it would probably be a great idea in Colorado, Southern uh -huh. California, even in the Pacific Northwest, where it rains all the time, but never very much. Mm -hmm. But here in the Northeast, where we get these deluges, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's the same thing as rain barrels. People love the idea of putting in a rain barrel. And my answer is, when are you ever going to use it? <laughs> you know, we get all the rain we need in, in mm -hmm. a given year. You can contact whoever put it in and say, this isn't working. Have you developed a workaround? Or, again, somehow have them install something that allows the water to be diverted before it goes into the planter when we've been saturated, or go all out and turn it into a true kind of bog garden with plants mm. that don't mind. You could grow pitcher plants to eat your mosquitoes. Ooh, I like the idea of that. Yeah, so there are a number of plants like that. You can easily research them if you like the design and everything like that, and you would have mm -hmm. very unique plantings in front of your house. Right. Okay? Okay. Thank you very much. A bog garden. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. If they're, <laughs> uh, you know, they are the brothers and sisters of rain gardens, and uh, there are some beautiful plants grow out of them. Mm-hmm. All right? I'll research that. Thank you. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody that there is no quarantine on nature. So if you're hunkering down at home, please spend a lot of time outside with your plants. It may be the only group of 10 or more that it's safe to be with. But don't go going outside just yet, because we'll be right back with a Titanic tomato question of the week and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a mostly new broadcast 
of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Roto Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll tell you why the bottom leaves of your tomatoes turn yellow season after season and how to prevent this very common disorder. In the meantime, more of your disordered phone calls at 833-727-9588. Brenna, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Brenna. How you doing? I'm good today. And oh, But you'll be bad tomorrow, right? Yeah. Where, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being had. Where is Brenna? I am in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Oh, I love that name. That's such a great town. I would, you know, I would, I would live in Kalamazoo just to be able to say that to people. All right, what can we do for Brenna in Kalamazoo Zoo Zoo? Well, I'm having a problem with a little bug. I think it's either the four-line bug or the four-striped bug. Okay. And it has been eating all of my mint family plants. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) Now you'll be able to grow other things. Right? Well, I'm an herbalist, so I need them. I need them. Okay. What what kind of what kind of mints is it after? So it's been getting the lemon balm and the spearmint, catnip, anisop, all of them. Okay. Lemon balm is one of my favorite weeds. It is just so wonderful. And uh, Andy Weil, Dr. Andy Weil, the alternative physician, once told me he thinks lemon balm is a better antidepressant than St. John's wort. Well, I'm definitely in that camp. Yeah, and he says all you have to do, you know, because it grows so, you know, viciously, all you got to do is go out and rustle up the leaves and rub them in your face, and you have to feel better. Mm-hmm, that's the ticket. Okay, so uh, these are mints, and you've got these bugs. I, I don't have personal experience with them, but I have heard of them. Now, mints uh, don't need to be pollinated um, and actually do much better if they're not pollinated. So my first suggestion is have you thought about floating row covers? It's kind of on a berm, so an incline. Mm-hmm. It might be kind of hard to get, make that happen. Well, there are, there are many tricks, uh, you know, floating row covers. You often see them just laying down on top of plants, but that's, that's not their ideal usage. Matter of fact, I've, se- I've seen better uh, row covers, low tunnels, that are one piece. They're the fabric plus they're the hoops that go into the ground. So you kind of create this little Quonset hut for your plants. But if it's an uneven surface, why not just get a welded wire, maybe even chicken wire would work here. Make a little, for lack of a better word, cage over your plants and then lay the, um, 
the remay, the row cover, whatever you want to call it, over top. Uh, you know, you're in Michigan. This will actually increase the growth of your plants um, by harnessing heat and keeping the plants warmer than if they were just exposed to the open. So I can do that directly in the ground? I don't have to have a raised bed for a row tunnel? No. No. Oh. Um, okay. Yeah, and I wouldn't waste a raised bed on, on lemon balm or mints. No. <laughs> At the end of the season, I rip out every single one of my lemon balm plants so that next year I'll only have 30 of them. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, that's the easiest. Um, you're not going to have to buy things over and over again. If you're a careful person, the row covers uh, will last you for years and years, and they come in um, lightweight and heavyweight versions. And the heavyweight ones are much sturdier, and they could stay on your plants through the early stages of winter and perhaps prolong your mm. harvest. But the you know make sure that the the row covers are fitted well into the soil. I know it's an investment, but it theoretically it's an investment you'd only have to make once every five or ten years, and you're not spraying anything around. You know, and these bugs appear at a certain time in the season, right? Yeah, it seems to be like late May, right when everything's like really bushy and looking exactly. good. Exactly, they're attracted by all this lush new growth. So what's going to happen, if you can really prevent them getting to the plants, they're not going to wait around. They're going to go eat somebody else's plants. So once you no longer see them, and you'll see them on the outside of the, of the row covers trying to get in, and then you're welcome to spritz them with horticultural oil or um, a light insecticidal soap. You know, I hate to admit this, but I use a can of Pam. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because it's That's oil. Available. Yeah, it's oil, right? And it coats their bodies and they die. And, you know, I'm originally from Philadelphia, so I'll be taunting them the whole time. <laughs> you know, hey, you're nice and slippery now, aren't you? Slippery <laughs> unto death, you lousy plant bugs. So to because me, because they really hide. Like as soon as you try to see, you see them, and then they just run away. It's quick, just drop. Right. So I think I think protection is your best option here. It's certainly the first thing I would do. Okay, and I should install them now, or yeah, before it starts the growth happens. Yeah, yeah, because it you may it may take you a while if it's your first time um, to get everything down and tight and know what you're doing. You can't cause the plants any harm, but you want them to be there and pretty much impenetrable by the time the first one shows up. I see. So is it fully encapsulated, or is there, like, caps to the ends of this? Yeah, no, uh, the ones I'm thinking about, the row tunnels, um, they actually have a string, so to speak, that pulls the door shut. Oh, okay. And then, of course, you know, you can open up that that string and just, you know, reach in and harvest what you need at the moment. My kid's going to love that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's the first line of defense. And if it doesn't work, call us back. Okay. Well, thanks, Mike. My pleasure. You take care. Good luck. 
All right, as promised, it's time for the question of the week. Blight versus Wilt, a treatise on tomato troubles. Melissa in Lawrenceville, New Jersey writes, I have a question about the soil in my raised beds. For the last couple of years, my tomato plants have had what I think is blight, although I did not have that verified. The plants start off great. Then mid-season through harvest time, the bottom leaves turn yellow, then brown, and then fall off. What's interesting is that I get a good crop anyway, but I want to grow healthy plants. This spring, I'm redoing the beds, which means adding about a foot of soil on top of what's already there. If the existing soil is problematic, however, how do I add the new soil so as to not contaminate it? Well, first, I want to make an impassioned plea to everybody out there not to use the word blight lightly. Tomatoes and other plants are prone to many disease problems, but blight is biblical. You don't just get a couple of discolored leaves if late blight strikes your garden. You get dark brown lesions on the leaves and the fruits, and within a week, the entire plant will be really most sincerely dead. Parts of the pathogen's Latin, which actually it's a Greek name, mean decay, ruin, and perish, okay? Although this is the same pathogen that caused the Great Famine in Ireland in the 1840s and 50s, it's originally from Mexico. And to quote the Cornell Pathology Lab, during the early 1990s, several exotic strains of late blight were introduced that are even more aggressive than the earlier ones. Great. There was a major outbreak in the United States in 2009 when my tomato plants essentially withered and turned black almost overnight. Luckily, I was in touch with Cornell at the time and knew to quickly destroy the plants because this is a typhoid Mary disease, sending the spores of the deadly pathogen into the air to kill tomato and potato plants in surrounding gardens. And every affected plant can produce one to 300,000 new spores a day. Now, extension bulletins are often going to suggest options for fighting the pathogen, but in truth, there's no cure for late blight. Once you see the first symptoms, the plants are goners. The only thing you can do is to protect the plants of nearby gardeners by quickly bagging your affected plants, letting the bags roast in the sun for a week, and then putting them out in the trash. Luckily, the spores do not survive winter above ground, so you'll start the next season with a clean slate. Okay, enough with the blight. What Melissa is describing sounds exactly like verticillium wilt, a pesky but easily manageable condition that occurs when tomatoes are grown in the same spot year after year, which makes this the perfect topic for this time of year as we're all getting ready to position our plants. Now, the wilt organism is ubiquitous in regions with cold winters, and in warmer climes, its nasty cousin Fusarium is generally to blame for similar symptoms. Technically, these diseases affect a large number of plants, but to tomatoes, they are kryptonite. Now, the first year a tomato plant occupies a certain spot in the ground, the wilt essentially breeds on the roots, but nothing bad happens. The second year in the same spot, the wilt breeds more aggressively, and you may see some yellowing of leaves at the bottom of the plant, but nothing major. However, by year three, the yellowing is going to start sooner and progress faster. If you plant there again in year four, your plants will succumb by late July. Now, the easiest answer is to use dated, sturdy metal plant tags to indicate where your tomatoes grow each season. 
You can use that spot for two years running and then rotate the plants to another spot. Without the roots of your tomatoes to feed on, the wilt in the first area will slowly die back. If you're a gambler, you can try replanting there after a two-year break. If you're a conservative investor, wait for the third year. In the meantime, you can and should plant other crops in those spots, although not potatoes or eggplants. Now, many of us have trouble following this routine because we have small gardens, or in my case, grow way too many tomatoes. If this sounds like you, consider planting at least some tomatoes that have the letters V and F after the variety names. They've been found to have some resistance to the wilts. Grafted tomatoes, which are the variety you desire grafted onto a rootstock that is very resistant, are a great option. Just remember that you always have to keep the graft above the soil line or you'll grow the fruits that the rootstock would have produced, which are not good tomatoes. Now, if the wilt strikes your garden this year, don't panic. Just remove the affected leaves right away. No, this will not slow the spread of the disease, but it'll make you look like a better gardener because you don't have bad leaves on your plants. It will also open up the bottom of the plants to better airflow, which can help prevent lots of other tomato troubles. If the tomato in question is a rampant indeterminate variety that keeps growing, it can and should outgrow the disease and produce a good number of fruits. Just be sure to mark that area for the following year and provide at least a two or three square foot tomato-free space. Back to Melissa. If the roots of your plants are still going to touch the old soil, the wilt will still come for you. Well, that sure was a tomato-friendly question of the week, now, wasn't it? If you would like to read it over at your leisure or your leisure, be assured that the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to topple my tomatoes if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. If you do email us, please include your location and don't say you're outside or in the garage or something like that. You'll find all of our contact information, answers to all your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, Oi! informative details about my upcoming events and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, 
PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Dr. Frankenstein with assistance from Igor, Mary Shelley, and Elsa Lanchester. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Joni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is a man, is a man, it's my own daughter, it's Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Sorry about that, honey. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Cohen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Eric Werner is running the camera. Zach Detack Witneski. Witneski, where are you? Our beloved and beleaguered CEO Tim Fallon, who is not our executive producer, is still safely sequestered in Aruba because, quote, no sacrifice is too great. And besides, it's the only place where I can't be late for a meeting. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. I'm out of town at an undisclosed location saying, hey, another three mojitos over here, four for four. And I'll be back, even if I can't actually see or hear you next week. Oh, three more. Put them on Tim's bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the ticket. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at LVHN.org. What can you expect to hear on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden? I'm Mike McGrath, and I have no idea if they'll even let me into the studio. But if they do, we'll take lots of your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden. Yeah, maybe. Maybe.